Hello everyone and welcome to episode 588 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. I am super excited about something that's coming up and I want to say a big hello to you first, to those of you who have enrolled in the upcoming course, Romance Writing Special Edition. Now, this is a very special event that I'm personally holding for you this year, and it's the only time I'm going to hold it this year. Yes, you heard me, this special edition of Romance Writing, which I'm holding in conjunction with Pamela Freeman, who also writes under Pamela Hart and has published more than 40 books. Uh, It's only going to be offered once this year, so now is the time to check it out. Because the biggest selling genre of all genres is romance or or certainly novels that contain romantic elements. Now, these are bestsellers. However, understanding this particular genre's unique challenges and the expectations from readers and publishers is what's key to getting published and to writing a great novel, of course. But why is this course so special that I'm holding with the wonderful Pamela? Romance writing is usually a self-paced course, meaning you can access the content as soon as you enroll and you can work through the modules in your own time and and it's self-paced and self-study. The Romance Writing Special Edition, well, you still get access to that valuable course which you can do dip in, in and out of in your own time. However, with the Special Edition for the first time ever, I'm also providing to you at no extra cost at all. So it's the same cost as the regular self-paced course. I'm also providing to you three Zoom sessions with the course creator, Pamela Freeman. And as I said, Pamela has published over 40 books, including many romance novels across various genres. You'll also get access to a private Facebook group, which I'm also going to be in, so that you can be part of a community of like-minded writers. So I will be there every step of the way. And so with Valentine's Day coming up, just think of it as my gift to you when you enroll in Romance Writing Special Edition. So you'll learn how to write captivating romance novels or novels with romantic elements, which, you know, might be a crime novel with a particular um, romantic element or romantic suspense. You need to understand, as I mentioned, the subgenres and the tropes. The tropes are so important. For those of you who've been listening to this podcast regularly, you'll hear romance writers often talk about tropes and it's so important that you understand what they are and what readers expect from them. Of course, we'll talk about how to develop ideas that appeal to readers and publishers and the things to avoid, some of the common romance writing pitfalls that make publishers go, no. (laughs) We'll also talk about the right publishing path for you. But importantly, it's about writing and understanding the best way to write your particular story. Now, one graduate of the romance writing course is Selena Shapland, and she said, This course was brilliant. It provides clarity on what is and is not romance and exactly how to write a story that includes romantic elements as well as how to write a romance that meets a romance reader's expectations. If you want to write romance and you're not sure where to start, do this course. Thank you, Selena. (laughs) So many people think that it's an easy genre to write, but, you know, romance writing is much more than just a love story. There are very specific expectations. So it's vital that you discover what they are. This is a great course. Again, Romance Writing Special Edition. It's only going to be held once this year. And 
I'm providing those bonus Zoom sessions and the bonus private Facebook group to you at no extra cost. So if you want to find out more, go to writerscenter.com.au slash romance. That's writercenter.com.au slash romance. Oh, I just want to say whenever it is that you enroll, you will still get access to the self-paced course that you can start immediately, right? It'd be a great idea to enroll before Valentine's Day uh, because then you have a little bit of time before the first Zoom session, which is about a week later. The great thing is that you can do this course in your own time and still have access to the Zoom sessions. And if you can't make the Zooms, you can still ask your questions and you'll get a recording. Uh, but if you want some buddies to go along the course with at the same time, you could do one module a week and follow along with other students who are in the class and uh, also participate in the Zoom sessions. Anyhow, as I said, writercenter.com.au slash romance. And now let's welcome Nat Newman, who is one of our fantastic creative writing tutors here at the Australian Writers' Centre, and she is here to talk about her writing tip. But first, what's been going on in that world? Um, Let's see, Valerie. Oh, you know me, just keeping busy, learning languages, learning music, <laughs> doing acting, um, rehearsing for a new play. Um, so, yeah. What music are you learning? What What instrument? Oh, I'm learning piano and I'm going for my grade two. I know. Very well, well done. To start somewhere. Yes. <laughs> but, um, but That's I did a great my grade, progress. Yeah, I did my grade one in two or three months. So I think I can get my grade two in maybe four or five months. So fantastic. Yeah. You're like speeding through it. You'll be, you'll be playing concertos before, before you know it. Uh, I'm, I'm at that point where I'm so aware of what I can't do. Um, you know, <laughs> Which is, I'm often you know, aware of that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always at that point. <laughs> you, know, you know, any skill that you're learning, it feels like that. Like I'm just like, oh, I'm never going to be able to, um, you know, I, I listen to some of my favourite pieces like a, a Chopin Nocturne or something and I just listen to it and go, oh, my God, I'll never be able to play that. <laughs> Whereas maybe before I started I probably delusionally thought, yeah, a couple of years I should be able to learn that. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Oh my good. goodness! But you, 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 the reality is, you can. You just take it one chunk at a time. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. just build on. Yeah, maybe I'll, um, maybe maybe by the time I'm fifty, I'll be able to <laughs> play a nocturne. Um, one of these guys, one of the channels that I watch on YouTube is this guy, a bit like you, a Renaissance man, who lives in New York, and his name is Rajiv Surendra, and during lockdown he decided to learn a nocturne by Chopin mm. and um and just but that's he just focused on that one thing oh, just okay. one thing one nocturne from Chopin and slowly bit by bit uh just built on it and built on it and built on it through the whole oh. of lockdown until in the end he could play the nocturne from Chopin yeah. but um just with this singular focus See, that would actually drive me batty. Like I couldn't, <laughs> I mean, the good thing about going for your grades is so at the moment I'm learning four pieces for my grades and then I'm just learning two other, well, two or three other pieces just for myself. Um, so maybe I would make faster progress if I did just pick one piece at a time or something, but I don't know. Like 
I want to learn lots of things. <laughs> yes, because I think when you do that, you're you're literally learning the nocturne from Chopin. You're not learning how to play the piano. Yeah, yeah, And exactly. then are able to play the nocturne from Chopin, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I mean that's a good thing about something going for your grades or whatever is, is so my current pieces, um, uh, you know, one's in three, four time and, you know, one has grace notes and, and one has, one uses the soft pedal and one uses the sustain pedal. And, you know, like there's all these different, um, all these different, you know, skills and techniques that I'm learning mm. across all the different things. And then I'm also learning like kind of more of a pop song and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah. So you're learning how to play the piano. Yeah. I'd like to, it's be, like, I'd like to be well-rounded. Just because you know how to recite the periodic table <laughs> doesn't mean you can know how to do chemistry. That uh, That's 100% true. I like that. I've never considered it like that before, but it's true. Like to my great uh, shame, Valerie, I never learnt my times tables, even though what? I did like. I know I did three unit maths and I did engineering at uni and I never learnt my times tables. I would just hang on, hang on. I'm sorry, we have to discuss this because <laughs> how did? Well, hang on. Does that mean if I said to you, "What's you know seven times nine, You wouldn't know the answer. I no, I I literally couldn't answer that question. <laughs> I could do what I would do is I'd go, okay, seven times ten minus seven is sixty three, but I couldn't. <laughs> I I've never never committed them to memory. Wow. Yeah. I know it just, you know, it just struck me as a waste of time as a kid. So I didn't do it. Anything that I, I thought was pointless as a kid, I didn't do. But um, you were and, wrong. Well, <laughs> I, I still got ducks <laughs> in my school, Valerie. So I wasn't all that wrong. <laughs> but in life, you know, that just getting ducks at the school could be like, you know, <laughs> learning the periodic table. <laughs> yeah. 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 I guess I just, yeah, I was just like, well, I could commit but that to But didn't the teacher and... call on you in class? You know, I think because I was, air quotes, the smart kid, I think she never did call on me. Oh, my God. So I, I just got away with it. Mm. I mean, you know, like you hear about people who who um, who um managed to get through almost all of high school without learning how to read properly. You know, mm. if you're, yes, if I you're, suppose. If you're sneaky, you can actually, <laughs> you can learn to get around things like that. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? When you are the smart kid or you give the impression of being the smart kid, you do get away with a lot. Yeah. 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 All right. So let's move on to our writing tip this week. Oh, okay. So uh, my tip this week is I think everyone should go out and if they don't already have one, they should buy themselves a real dictionary. Meaning I... a, a, a paper yes. book, a, book. a printed yeah. hard copy book. Yes, yeah, yes. Exactly, exactly. One of those big fat ones with really thin pages and just tens and mm. tens of thousands of words and, and they just they smell good and they feel good and they're too heavy and they're kind of stupid, but I love them. But yes, aesthetics agreed. aside. I think um, a really great thing about um, going through a dictionary is, first of all, you get that really tactile feeling of the of the words under your fingers as you as you're running through a dictionary. I think there are a few mm. things more pleasant than that. And then when you find the word, you know, you might you know look up a word, and it might even be a word that you kind of know it in context, but you don't actually know what the definition is. And so then you get to the word, and then you can sort of see all these other words on the page, you know, and and through serendipity, you might find some whole other word you never knew existed and, and there you mm. go, you've got, you've got your words. And then so because I'm a bit of a nerd, when I look up a word, I always write it down and write down the meaning as well in my notebook um, just to sort of really sort of that next next step. My next step after that is one day I am actually going to get around to putting all of those words into flashcards so I can review them. But at the moment, you know, looking up the word, actually physically seeing it there on the page uh, and then writing it out for myself, I find really, really useful. 
Yeah, I think it's great, actually. I love um, printed dic- hard copy dictionaries, and I've got um, quite a few. And uh, I, I also have a subscription to the online um, Macquarie Dictionary. I do find it a bit glitchy in that sometimes I will go to that site and it doesn't work. Like <laughs> I was, I really needed to find out a particular word or check a particular word the other day while I was on a Zoom call and you know, it just, it just oh. failed. Um, the site failed. So um, fortunately I have real dictionaries to rely on. Yeah. Um, but absolutely. That's, that's, um that's a very handy tip. Um, yeah. You mentioned that you write them in your notebook. I'm curious to know, because your notebook must be quite eclectic. Do you have separate notebooks for all your different interests, like music slash theater slash you know or acting or whatever slash writing or whatever um or is it all in one notebook because you like keeping you know like a a moment in time or a period in time in one bound book yeah it's kind of a combination of both so I have one notebook for everything um but it is a notebook that I can tear pages out of um Mm. and so I will actually um and they're they're already um what do you call it? They've got holes in them so I can put them in folders. So for example, if I'm reviewing a movie or, um, or, a, um, a piece of theater, then it'll go on its own page. And then I might tear that out and put it in its own, um, folder for movie reviews. Um, but otherwise, yeah, everything goes into the same notebook. And then I mentioned, oh God, probably a few months ago now that I use Notion a lot. So some, yes. so some notes will end up in Notion, um, so that I can search them. So my movie reviews do end up in Notion, um, what do you mean you, you scan it and put it in there? How, what do you mean? Oh, no, like so so I'll make I'll make notes by hand and then I'll actually go into Notion and then and then type up those notes. Yeah. Um uh, I should get around to using Letterboxd as well for my for my movie reviews. Um but that's what What's I'm saying. Letterboxd? Like, words. Oh, Letterboxd. It's kind of like Goodreads but for movies. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, so it's just a way of track tracking all your movies. Um but yeah, as I say, I think my next step because at the moment I'm just writing down um, the words and the meanings, but I think I would like my next step to either put them into Notion or maybe put them into um, one of the flashcards apps that I use um, just to sort of resurface those those words that they do pop up. I mean, normally just flicking through my notebook, like at the moment I've got my um my notebook in front of me. And you know what I looked up, Valerie? I looked up the word crucible. Crucible is one of those words you hear it all the time and you kind of think mm. you know what it means. And then I read it in a story and I realized I don't actually 100% know <laughs> if, if I know what a crucible actually is. So I actually looked it up and, and popped it in my notebook. So, What um, is it? What was your definition? Okay. It is a ceramic or metal container in which metals or other substances may be melted or subjected to very high temperatures. Mm, yep. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So it's one of those <laughs> things where you kind of, I think, I sort of had the image of it in my mind, but I didn't actually know that it was specifically for metal metal and, and high mm. temperatures and stuff like that. So, yeah. So that's why I think it's handy. You know, actually write the words down. Back onto notebooks. Um, are you one of these people that have, uh, like I know some people who only use moleskin or only use that German name, which I can't remember, <laughs> um, uh, oh, yeah. or do you use any? Oh, I've gone through phases. I, I did have a moleskin phase for a couple of years where I only had the moleskin ones, and they are very nice. Um, and then, but at the moment my main criteria is that it's A5 um, because I mm, find A5 same. will fit into almost any handbag. Yep. Um, and then I do also have a teeny tiny notebook for if I'm taking out just 
my pockets or a small purse. Um, but yeah, A5. So at the moment I'm actually loving the Muji, Muji notebooks. Um, oh. the Muji, the Japanese. Yeah. Store. Yeah. Do you buy them online or where do you buy them? No, whenever I come into Sydney, I, I buy them. <laughs> oh, right. Yes. <laughs> it's my first stop. <laughs> so before the, before the Christmas party, um, last year, I just popped into Muji. <laughs> And I know that this has been a bit of an eclectic conversation, but um, what flashcard app do you use? Oh, well, I really That's love- just a font of, you know, useful <laughs> useful tips, isn't she? Yeah. Not just writing tips, but other stuff as well. What flashcard app do you use? Because I I think that's a great idea for stuff that you want to remember, like you wanted to remember crucible or whatever, and you'd had obviously written it down. You know, it's great for languages, if for vocabulary, for, mm. you know, just stuff that you want to remember. So, yeah, what flat flashcard app? Yeah, so I use one called Memrise, M-E-M-R-I-S-E. Uh, so you can build your own flashcards in there. Um, they also have some of their own courses in there, but uh, I really like it for, for building my own. And there's one that I know that um, – Oh, loads of people I do focus mate with use a different one. Oh, let me see if I can look that up. Um, so focus mate is the thing where I, I get online and work buddy up with other people. Yeah. So while you're looking that up, um, yeah, Nat has talked about focus mate before, and basically it is, uh, as she said, an online thing, and you can find people who you can say, "Hey, at four o'clock, I'm going to have a one hour work session." Um, and they might, they don't have to be working on the same kind of thing that you're working on. They might be writing, well, they not might, might not be writing. They might be coding an app and you yeah. might be writing a short story, but you both start the hour, you both kind of set your, say hello and set your intention. And then you just work. It's like having someone in the room next to you, especially when you're writing, it can often be quite isolating. It can be useful just to know somebody else is working, which is, it's, I think is why those study with me and work with me YouTube mm-hmm. videos that go for three hours or sometimes five hours um, uh, are so popular because it's it's exactly that. Somebody is actually a real human's actually working yeah. and you kind of feel compelled to work as well. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's really, really great for, I know in our community, um, in the Focusmate community, there's a lot of neurodivergent people. It's really great for people who have um, ADHD or, um, you know, if you've been recently diagnosed with ADHD and you're looking for um, tactics to help you out, uh, Focusmate, something like Focusmate can really, really help. Because, yeah, sometimes the other person might even be cleaning their house. Like there are, there's, you know, some people who get on and say, my goal is to do the dishes in this hour. And you're like, okay, my goal is to write, you know, 500 words on my assignment. Um, and so you've got two completely different goals, but because you know that you have to check in with that person at the end of the or 50 minutes or 25 minutes, depending on which session you go for, um, you know that you have to check in and, and they're going to say, yes, I did the dishes. And you'll go, congratulations, you. And they'll say, how did you go? And you'll go, yes, I wrote 507 words. And they'll say, congratulations. And yeah, it's, it's, it really, really helps. It's great. Do you kind of click with someone and then make uh second appointments with the same yeah, people yeah definitely like you can um you can uh i think it's called favoriting so you can favorite people so there's a librarian in new zealand um and i meet up with them um as often as i can cuz you know we we have a lot in common and and yeah so we sort of we have that check in and it does it makes it more personal so like okay you know this is what i'm working on what are you working on and and i can tease them a little bit and sort of say now are you sure you're actually going to get that done because remember last time you didn't get it done on time and, and stuff. So you can develop relationships with, in that way with some people, yeah. Oh, I, I just looked up that app. It's called Anki, A-N-K-I. So that's what a lot of people use. And what does it do again? 
So that's also for flashcards. So I use I use Memrise a lot, M-E-M-R-I-S-E, but uh, I know a lot of people who use Anki, A-N-K-I. But yeah, they're cool. all good. Thanks. Great. Well, yeah. this conversation has been wide ranging, but thank you so much for your time today, Nat. See you next week. <laughs> all right. See ya. Let's move on to our competition this week. I have three copies of Moscow X by David McCloskey to give away. In Moscow X, two CIA operatives embark on a perilous mission in Russia, posing as a couple to recruit Putin's money men. Against the backdrop of opulent luxury and gangland violence, the novel unfolds as an exciting tale of espionage where the unexpected loyalties of a Russian woman hold the key to their mission's success. So here's the blurb. A daring CIA operation threatens chaos in the Kremlin. Its execution is foiled by a Russian woman with secret loyalties. CIA operatives Sia and Max enter Russia to recruit Vladimir Putin's money man. Sia works for a London firm that conceals the wealth of the super-rich. Max's family business in Mexico, a CIA front since the 1960s, is a farm that breeds high-end racehorses. They pose as a couple, and their targets are Vadim, Putin's private banker, and his wife, Anna, who is both a banker and an intelligence officer. As they descend further into a Russian world dripping with luxury and rife with gangland violence, Sia and Max's hope may be Anna, who is playing a game of her own. Careening between the horse ranch and the dark opulence of St. Petersburg, Moscow X is both a gripping and a daring work of political commentary on the conflict between Washington and Moscow. Okay, well, I have three copies of Moscow X by David McCloskey to give away. Just go to writercenter.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 12th of February. I've made it super easy for you to enter. So just go to writercenter.com.au slash win. And if you're at that URL in the future because you're listening to the back catalogue or something, then don't worry, there'll be some other fantastic competition there for you to enter. And now, are you ready for the word of the week? I hope you are because the word of the week this week is palimpsest. Palimpsest, that's P-A-L-I-M-P-S-E-S-T, S-E-S-T. one word, palimpsest. What is it? Palimpsest is a parchment or paper from which the writing has been partially or completely erased to make room for another text. So obviously something that was done when, you know, paper was a rare commodity. And these days you can use it in other contexts, perhaps like architecture, uh, if you can see evidence of an old wall or an earlier window in a newer building. That would also be a palimpsest. There you go. So that was the word of the week. Now let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Liz Foster is an author in Sydney and her novel is The Good Woman's Guide to Making Better Choices, published by Affirm Press. She is a great example of someone who fell in love with writing and has been proactive and persistent in her goal to get published. Thank you so much for joining us today, Liz. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's it's so exciting to talk to you, Valerie, because, you know, you've just been on the end of my ears for so many years <laughs> <laughs> well firstly congratulations on the good woman's guide to making better choices I'm so excited for you and what a fantastic story so for listeners who haven't got a copy yet um tell us what it's about sure so it's about uh the, the main protagonist is Libby she's a 40 something 
uh, woman, country girl, grew up on a, on a goat farm in northeast Victoria. And she has married Ludo, who's a who's a high flying financier, and sort of he's introduced her to more of a high life. They've lived a glitzy life in Bondi. They've raised their two kids, and she likes it. it's great. Um, but you know, she obviously hankers for the farm. And then what happens is Ludo gets thrown into jail. So not too much of a spoiler. It's on the first page, <laughs> but basically for financial fraud. And they're left with nothing, literally nothing. The, the, the penthouse is taken, all their possessions are taken. She loses her job and uh, she has to find a way of making ends meet and also somehow sort of repairing the damage that uh, he did because some of her family is um, involved. So where did this idea come from? I mean, because financial fraud is such a intriguing topic, isn't it? I mean, just last night I was listening to a podcast recapping that story about Nick Leeson, who was the rogue trader that brought down Bearings Bank um, in Singapore. It's something that just doesn't get old, you know, financial fraud, such thing. Where did this idea come from? Well, you're quite right. It doesn't get old. And I think as sort of society evolves and you've got new, more nefarious ways of of uh, causing crime, as it were, um, there's more opportunities. But, but my original idea came from uh, Melissa Caddick. So that was very much inspired throughout lockdown. Um, like all of us, we were all doing different things. Some people took to home baking and craft, and I became a bit obsessed with true crime podcasts. So I couldn't, the thing about her that I couldn't, I just couldn't comprehend was that she had done it to her family and friends, you know, and that is how she, that is how she succeeded at her crime, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars. And it was a classic Ponzi scheme, which is one of those things where um, you're paying previous investors with money from uh, the new investors. Um, and I thought to myself, oh, you know, how would how would you what would you do if that was your husband or wife and you found out they'd been doing that? You know, and of course, her husband was in the paper and he presented very much as someone that didn't know. And I thought, well, he probably didn't. What, why would he know that it was it was necessarily a criminal act? He just thinks she's successful and she runs this business and he's living a lovely life. So that was the inspiration. And, uh, and then he sort of took a life on of its own. <laughs> I'm interested in how it took a life on of its own because it's one thing to have an you know a, a inspiration for a premise and another thing to write an entire novel about it. But before we get to that, tell us the sort of a bit of a backstory on that. Did you always want to be a writer, an author of fiction? An author. I can't say it's something I always dreamed of from being a little girl, but I have always enjoyed writing and I've always enjoyed um, creating something which makes other people happy. Um, so that's I'm, very broad, though. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. But for example, when I was uh, young, and then I would go backpacking, and then I'm at university in the UK. Everyone lives away. I would write letters to all my friends, all my family. I always wrote postcards when I went traveling. I was pretty much the only person that ever did that. Christmas cards, I would write letters in them. I still write physical Christmas cards with 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 personal notes in them to all my friends and I post them. I'm the only one that does it, but still I know everyone loves it. And that, you know, I'm not just doing it for me, I'm doing it for them. So I've always enjoyed that feeling. 
and friends saying, oh, I got your last letter. It was just so funny. It made me laugh. And I said, oh, isn't that nice? You know, so that feeling, I think, stayed with me. And then throughout my career, I, I was a strategic marketer for big companies. And again, you have to be a, a key communicator. So, of course, I can't make people laugh all day long. But, um, you know, you, you every single word counts when you're developing a marketing campaign and then you're presenting to the sales team, you're presenting to customers, uh, you have to really think carefully about words. So I suppose the crafting of words then started to solidify in my mind. And I moved on to more uh, copywriting, which again was more focused again. And then the final hurdle, I guess, was writing a book. And that came about because uh, eight years ago I had breast cancer and I had had all my treatment and surgeries and I was in the recovery phase and it was, I'm not going to lie, very boring. <laughs> I know this is not supposed to be a bleeding heart tale. I was on the other side of it and I was recovering. I was very happy that obviously very well looked after by my family and a great support network and it was all wonderful. But, um, you know, I couldn't do the things I wanted to do. And I just started my career again. The girls were both at high school and that I felt like that was taken from me. And my doctor said to me, Look, Liz, your, your health is your career now. And I thought, oh, that's, <laughs> I didn't apply for that job. <laughs> so my heart came, you know, I'm coming home and I'm moaning. And uh, my husband said, look, you know, you've got all this time. And he was very tactful. He said, I oh, know you don't want it, but you do have it. And, you know, like I'm very busy. He was managing a business, managing the girls, doing all of the, the everything. Um, he said, why don't you, I don't know, write a book. And it was literally just a throwaway line. And I thought, oh, that's quite a good idea. So literally the next day, I'm Googling Australian Writer Centre Creative Writing Courses, literally the next day. And straight away, that that then was the seed which took me to where I am now. But the journey has been so wonderful because those first few courses I did, you know, just the, the basic six week creative writing course, uh, version one, I think. And then there's a version two. I'm not sure if they're the right yeah. names, uh, but I did both of them. And, you know, they were just a revelation. You're just sitting in a room with, you know, half a dozen other people just like you who kind of think that they might like to write something but don't really know where to start and what to do and let's just don't go and do a course and it'll be fun so that's what happened goodness me there. at what point did you actually think I'm definitely going to write one because that sounds like you were kind of just dipping your toe in the water just to see whether it might interest you uh when did you decide that's it I'm writing it so the first novel I wrote was not this one that's been published and I had a couple of ideas floating in my mind during this period. Um, and when I did the first couple of weekly courses with the AWC, I thought, well, maybe, maybe I could write a book. Of course, literally clueless as to how to go about it. So I bashed out a few words. And then I saw that, again, the AWC did a, did a um, course called How to Write Your Novel. I thought, oh, that sounds like something I need clearly I need help so again looked it up and it said um da 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 da, da you need at least 20,000 words written and I think at that point I had about 8,000 this makes me laugh so much when I say it because of course 8,000 words is something I'd write you know in less than a week now but at the time it, 
I spent so long doing it. I thought, I've got 8,000 words of my novel. Woo, go me. Um, and then when I saw I needed 20,000 for your course, that was brilliant. That was, that was you know, the um, motivation I needed. So I enrolled in the course, which I think started about a month later. And then, of course, I knuckled down and got my next 12,000 done. <laughs> so when I started, I think I had 21,000 words. <laughs> it's a good motivator to have a deadline, isn't it? Because oh, yes. Absolutely. And <laughs> as a marketer, the... I'm deadline driven. So I think that's one of the things I've struggled with as a writer is the sort of floaty nothingdom of no deadlines, especially before you're published. You've, you've got no one driving you. The only motivation is yourself and your own goals. So, it, it, you know, it was a challenge. So with uh, Creative Writing Stage 1, um, students don't need any words because it's an introductory course. But, yeah, the, the Write Your Novel program is a more advanced program and you actually write your novel. Um, the plan is to write your novel by the end of it if you follow, you know, the, the schedule. Um, but you need to start with 20,000 words so that you have an actual idea uh, in mind. What was your idea? Was that this novel or a different novel? No, that was a, a different novel. And, of course, it's Like your, very... your apprentice novel. Yeah, my apprentice novel. And, and like all writers, and I've heard so many interviews of writers saying exactly the same thing that I'm about to say, and it makes perfect sense now, where it's so dear to my heart <laughs> <laughs> and there's no way I will ever let it go and I really hope one day to bash it into the right shape. But of course, now I know more. And now now I am published with my second novel. And the first one didn't go anywhere. And I did all the right things and pitched and okay, fine, just write another one. Not easier said than done, but I did. Obviously, it was much better. And I could feel that it was better. You know, I had it had better shape, the, the connections worked better. It got the reader to the right place more quickly. It, it, I, I could feel that it was special. So the first book I wrote in the How to Write Your Novel uh, course and the, the first one that I finished and started pitching. It's a beautiful story with beautiful characters and beautiful plots, but it, it, it they need to coalesce. <laughs> They're all just floating in the sky. It doesn't really come together. And I, and I came to realise, yeah, it's not. It, it, I think it's rescuable, um, but not just yet. Yes, I was talking to one of our graduates the other day and she was saying the exact same thing. But now that she's had her first novel published, which was not the first novel she wrote, the publishers are interested in that first novel, which she has, uh, you know, edited and, and polished and put into shape. So we may well see that novel see the light of day in the future. Now let's come back to The Good Woman's Guide to Making Better Choices. Did you know, I mean, you have your inspiration, which was um, the, the idea of financial fraud um, and the impact on family and friends. Did you know what was going to happen when you started writing? Hmm. I think more or less I did. I wanted my protagonist to become very strong by the end of the book. And, um, you know, I wanted her to be supportive, but then I needed her to, you know, have a, have a really full character arc basically and think, yeah, you know what, that wasn't great. And she learns things along the way. So her journey is very much, it's a very steep arc and then it kind of comes down. And 
I think I had, you know, a general idea of the shape. But again, when you're writing it, so many little little ideas and connections come to you that make you think, gosh, it could be stronger there. Yep, that could happen there. Yep, I'll definitely do that. And then, of course, working towards the climax um, is always the ultimate goal. And and I think, yeah, I, I think that was something that I had planned, but uh, filling in the meaty bits in between definitely happened along the way. Now, it is set in various places, um, Bondi, which you have lived in before, so you know the area, um, rural Victoria, Beechworth, um, Albury Correctional Centre. <laughs> what, what's your, I understand Bondi, but what's your experience with the other places? Sure. Well, places? so um, my um protagonist's husband who gets jailed gets sent to jail in Albury now that to be clear there's no jail in Albury this is a fictitious place but there is a Beechworth Correctional Centre that's kind of a white-collar prison and I knew that it needed to be a a white-collar prison for him for his crime it's sort of six seven months um, for financial fraud basically so I just researched, there's a book called Mr. Ordinary Goes to Jail by Will Patterson, which is amazing. And he is um, an ex-financial fraud inmate of Beechworth Correctional Centre. So (laughs) so much material in that. I thought, great. Uh, I will, you know, maybe use that as my starting point. But um, Luda had to go to jail in New South Wales because you have to be jailed in the state that you're convicted. So I just made it a fictitious Albury Correctional Centre and moved it over the border. And then the rest of Beechworth, it's just a northeast Victoria is an area I'm familiar with because we've got good friends that moved there. So we visited there a lot. Um, and it just worked well with the storyline where I've got Libby's from the country originally. She's going back to visit the family. And then, of course, he's in jail near the farm. So it all just worked out that it could be <laughs> in that region. Now, being ha- having a background as a strategic marketer, I'd love to unpack some of the strategies that you've put in place or that you've thought of to, because this is your debut novel, right? And um, I must say, because I have been going down the TikTok rabbit hole lately, and I've been seeing a lot of you on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love to just chat about some of the strategies you've put in place to build your author platform. Because I think you're doing it really well. Oh, thank you very much. Well, along the way, as I said, so much help and support from courses, like courses that you guys run and other authors who I've met at events and just dabbling in um, little sound bites of social media courses, how to grow your platform, that kind of thing. Um, But I didn't have a platform. I had a personal Facebook profile and for my friends, like pretty much everybody, and that's all I had. So I began to think, oh, I need to do the Instagram thing. Um, and all I really did was post the same things on Instagram to begin with. And and But it, I spent a long time sort of watching it and observing it and thinking, you know, it's quite a nice platform, but it's very, it, to me anyway, it feels quite curated. It feels quite um, zhuzhy. There's probably no such word as shuji, but I'm sure you know what I mean. Yes. Um, I, I'm not a shuji person. I'm not saying I don't like to dress up and look nice and what, but, but but my day-to-day, Liz, is pretty what you see is what you get. So I thought, okay, well, that's fine. That has its place. And then I started to look at TikTok. 
And I thought, oh, this is brilliant. There's all these people with no makeup on and shiny faces and, you know, just somebody posting a recipe on hummus. Um, lots, you know, just weird, stupid stuff that kind of appeals. And because it's in such tiny sound bites, 10 seconds, even five seconds, um, it, you know, it's 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 not consuming so much of your time. So I thought to myself, oh, this is gold. I'll just I'll just do some stupid stuff on TikTok. And like it's literally what's going to happen. Who's going to see me? Like, you know, anything could happen. And the strangest thing, I'm seeing all these people following my profile, but people I kind of know in my life, but who would never be Facebook or Instagram friends, like work colleagues maybe, or some students a few years ago I tutored. <laughs> Somehow I came through on their feed and they were like, go, Liz. <laughs> like, oh, good stuff. You've seen my feed. Oh, that's embarrassing. Oh, well. Um, you know, and it just gives you this scope to dress up, you know, put a wig on, pretend to be a character and just do some strange stuff. So uh, I have found it enjoyable. Um, it, it, there's just literally no rules. <laughs> what a great outlet. <laughs> um, okay, so you've mentioned that you've done uh, some courses. You've done lots of courses at the Australian Writers Centre. What what did you get out of them? What was What were the things that you learnt that were useful for you in being an author? Well, there's certainly not enough time in this interview, Valerie, for me to go through that because it wouldn't be an understatement to say that they have been invaluable. I have printed off key pages. I've got post-it notes around my desk. I, I downloaded all the PDFs and I know the courses expire after a year, but of course I've got the content saved um, and I refer to them. And whenever I'm writing something, particularly things on structure and scenes, it's just invaluable. Like I think I was struggling with the structure of um, this novel actually. And the reason being that when I, as a writer, when I started to write again, not knowing anything and whatever, I, I'm very linear. So this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And, and then I'd be struggling over it thinking, oh, how can I raise the tension? And I can't put that there because that happens after that. And then I went into your structure course. I think it was like lesson 1.01 or something, the most basic entry-level piece of advice in the course. And it was your beautiful voice saying... Um, uh, structure, you know, talking about how you can reorder structure. And there were five scenes and that you, you basically describe them in a linear fashion and then you describe them mixed up. And I just thought, oh, that's it. That's it. I printed off the page. <laughs> I, I, I did it everywhere. I can't do I know it sounds really basic, but it was just such a light bulb moment. I'm not kidding. Not even making it up. So I still refer to it because I think in all things, whether it's writing, whatever it is, if you go back to basics sometimes, that just helps reset your vision. And I think you can get lost in, you know, very deep, particularly writing a novel. I mean, who knows? You, you really are clueless until the book comes out. And even then you're second guessing yourself. But at least you've had a team of people behind you at that point. But uh, prior to that, you know, there's so much advice. It's difficult to know what advice to take, what advice not to take. And so you just go back to basics. And and, and those courses have been absolutely invaluable for me. 
Oh, I'm so thrilled to hear it. And I think you're so right about going back to basics because sometimes, especially if you're a reader, an avid reader, or maybe have a background in some kind of writing, we often um, kid ourselves or, or convince ourselves that, oh, we're going to be okay. So we can go straight into intermediate or we can, we don't, we, we don't need the basics. But in fact, it's the basics that are the absolute foundation of of everything. Okay, so now that the book is out there and I'm seeing it make a splash, I'm so excited for you. What is the plan? What's the grandmaster plan for Liz Foster? Oh, the grandmaster plan. I'm not sure my plan would be the same as my publisher's plan. <laughs> so uh, assuming our plans align, um, in a perfect world, I this is what I want to do forever. So I do work as well. I work two days a week at the moment as a as a communications manager at an aged care facility. And actually, there's um, nursing home scenes in the Good Woman's Guide, inspired by my job. And they it's it's wonderful. It's the most wonderful, wonderful job. I love the people I work with. I love the residents. I love everything about it. And I don't want to give it up. But on the other hand, it's just, you know, a little bit encroaching at the moment. I've got my, my books being launched. I'm doing events, um, I think, maybe in another year or so. Once I've got maybe some more certainty in a program, my publisher and I are happy with because uh, I've written two other novels, not just the first one, but the third one I've also completed. And maybe we can make a plan. And in, in, in my perfect world, I'll be launching I don't know, maybe a novel a year. Um, and yes, just making people happy. I, I, I just I just love engaging with readers. And, I, and at this early, early stage, I love people giving me feedback saying, wow, I just finished your book in a day and I really enjoyed it. And I just think, oh, I can't think of anything that would make me happier. So that's pretty much my plan to hopefully build on early success for this book. Um, Fingers crossed that the sales do what they need to do from a publisher's perspective, because obviously that's a big investment for them. And then um, maybe build on some momentum and take it from there. I have no doubt all of that is going to happen. Now, talk to me about, um, uh, okay, so you've written three books. This is the one that's been published so far, three novels. How would you describe the genre in which you write? How would you describe, if you were to describe to a reader your kind of stories, what would that be? Sure. Well, that, that's a really good question because I looked at self-publishing for a long, long time and I found that there was no genre in self-publishing that fitted what I write. Self-publishing tends to be very much, um, you know, the fantasy, romance, detective, thriller, you know, classic uh, trope um, genres. But for my book, it, in a broad sense, it's contemporary women's fiction. Uh, in a narrow sense, I would say it's uplit, which which was a which is a sort of subcategory a couple of years ago. I'm not sure it's still used, but uplit meaning up, uplifting literature. Um, it's very contemporary, but it's also um, there's humour in it. But I, but I don't want to say it's a comedy book either. I'm not trying to sort of tell people they will laugh. It's just. It's very lighthearted. So it, it's an interesting question because I've often thought there isn't actually a key genre that you would say this was a member, this was, you know, fitted exactly into. Yes. Um, I mean, it is contemporary women's fiction, so that is the broad genre, but it does does have interesting themes that, you know, are, are a little bit unexpected. Tell me what, um, 
uh, research you had to do. Now, I don't want to overplay the financial fraud in the story. This is It's about much more than financial fraud. It's about so many other things, families, relationships, and so on. But um, do tell me what kind of research you had to do either about that or, I mean, or, or about jail. I mean, you mentioned that that you, you read that uh, book by the by the um, former inmate. And I did uh, kind of keep, keep thinking, oh, this just reminds me of um, Oliver Curtis. He, Because there were so many stories about him, the insider trader who went to a Kuma correctional facility. Um, uh, but, yeah, there, there, there are a lot of interesting things that no person doesn't normally come across. So what research did you have to do? Sure. Well, as I said, I read the book by Will Patterson, which was gold. Um my book is also partly set on a goat farm. So, again, <laughs> lots of Googling in terms of habit, ha what goats do. I wouldn't have a clue what goats do, but apparently they don't like water. So, uh, there's, uh, you know, I've got a scene there where they refuse to walk through a puddle and people have to push them out of the way. Uh, you know, and it just adds lightness and I think in real realness, as it, as it were, to, to the story. So that was something that Google helped me with. Um, there's a scene involving a drone. And again, I did a lot of drone Googling. Now, I didn't I stopped short at consulting a drone expert because in the context of the scene, I think um, if there are any mistakes, then the reader can suspend disbelief. You don't actually, unless you possibly are the road drone expert of the year, you might think, you know, <laughs> that wouldn't happen, but it, it, it's, it's authentic in the scene. So definitely drones needed to be researched because I've never used a drone in my life. Um, and then, I don't know, um, oh, the Conservatorium of Music, that's the other one. So one of my characters, Libby's son, is at the Conservatorium, Harrison, and he is unhappy. And that was as far as I got with my thinking. I thought I needed him to be at high school in his final year, which, which makes him need to stay in Sydney, so they can't move back to the farm when Ludo's in jail, but they've got no money. Um, but they need to stay in Sydney because he's finishing this, this big um, school education that he's had. So, and I needed a reason for him to be unhappy. That was as far as I got. <laughs> so I had a friend that went to the conservatorium. She's my age, but she went there and we had a coffee and she just gave me lots of tips in terms of, you know, I said, what, do the, what does everyone do? Like, obviously when they finish in you know year 12 do they do they just leave or I mean they can't all go off and join orchestras and become conductors surely and so she gave me lots of you know real world insights there which of course I never would have had a clue about so that was quite helpful. When you were writing the book what did your writing day look like was there a routine or and did you uh, try to achieve a certain number of words each day? Yeah, so in the course of actually writing and getting through the chapters, I would aim for a minimum 1,000 words a day. And then this book was pretty much written, I started it on the 1st of November last oh, you, year. Did you do NaNoWriMo? Year before last, yes, that's right. right. That mm -hmm. was that was what the inspiration was. And, and actually NaNoWriMo made me, because, again, it, all the ideas floating in your head and you just need, as we were saying before, that deadline, that motivation to just sit down and start. 
So I thought, right, NaNoWriMo, 1st of November, and I set up my word count in Scrivener and I worked out I needed to do 1,600 words a day. Uh, but to be clear, I did not do 1,600 words a day in November. But um, I probably did, you know, maybe 30,000 words, which was not bad. That's um, good. Yeah, and, and to this day, the legacy is that on Scrivener, my word count's automatically set for 1,600. So every now and again, when I write more, it goes, ping, you mix it, I say, oh, it takes me back to NaNoWriMo. So <laughs> that was pretty much, um, it, it did make it a lot quicker, I've got to say, getting NaNoWriMo to give me that boost initially. Um, and then I became better at writing it more quickly than I had the first time around when I was just having lots of fun and writing funny scenes involving things I'd thought of. Um, but having said that, I did write a lot of absolute gumph, Valerie. I think the original manuscript for this book was almost 130,000 words. Wow. Um, it's just absurd how long it was. And I knew it was, but I remember thinking at the time, I'm having so much fun. I'm quite good at self-editing. So I, I write a column for the local paper and, I, and it's, or 500 words long, but I tend to write it at 800 and then I cull. So I'm better at seeing something when I can edit it. So that was kind of the tactic I took for the book. But of course, at the end of it all, it was quite exhausting. And I thought, oh, you know, then I had to, <laughs> the, the, the novel is 86,000 words long. So I had to cut, you know, 50 odd thousand. How did you make that decision? How did you determine which bits should go? Well, with the 130,000 down to probably 110 was relatively straightforward because once I took a month off and then I had another look at it I'm thinking I do not need this chapter that chapter or the other chapter I could literally just take them out wholesale in Scrivener and then make sure my little bits joined uh, so I got down to 95,000 relatively easily and then that was when I pitched it to an agent and a publisher and they both picked it up at 95. Um, but then the publisher, who my publisher's a firm press, they came back and said, yeah, wonderful, you know, it was all signed up, but we need you to get it to 88. And let me tell you, those last 7,000 words, that was a struggle because the 130,000 words, I could take out wholesale sections. You know, I could, there was a, there was a lot more, um, Backstory, for example, on one of the minor characters who's a farmer in Beechworth. And I, whilst I loved it all, I, could, I knew that it wasn't um, forwarding the plot. So I could take them out. But when it came to the last 8,000 words, like, there was nothing. I couldn't take out any people. I couldn't really take out any scenes. And then it would get to a scene where it would be something that wasn't necessarily forwarding the plot. But I loved it. And, of course, as a writer, you're like, oh, I can't bear to take that out. No. So I think I managed to sort of hack out 6,000. Um, and then the last 2,000 words was literally line by line. <laughs> taking out so, a sentence. Talk to me about how you use Scrivener then and if that made it any easier for you. With Scrivener, did you have um, chapter summaries so you could easily see, oh, that's that whole chapter about that backstory that I don't need? And in within the chapter, do you have scene-by-scene scene breakdowns? How do you actually use it and and was that helpful in, in the editing process? Yeah, so Scrivener is probably the number one most um, 
exciting writing tool that I've ever come across, you know, as, as a writer who's only ever used Word. Uh, and again, uh, this the how to use Scrivener Power or whatever the course name is from AWC. Two hours I, to Scrivener Power. That's yes. the one. Thank you. Of course, <laughs> I did that and followed that to the left. And um, it, it's been absolutely wonderful. So I have uh, the binder. I've got all my chapters on the left-hand side. I tend to call my chapter name a, a summary of the sentence. And then most of my chapters I'll have either one or two scenes only. They're all quite short chapters, maybe 3,000 words. Sometimes I've got two scenes, sometimes three. When I'm drafting it, I might put them in the same chapter. And, but again, I can see when I then come back to the second draft, oh, no, that needs to be a new chapter. Um, and you can you can use it in all sorts of ways, and I probably don't use it in, in the most efficient way you could, but I use it in an efficient way for me, um, which means I can glimpse straight away and see all of my work in the binder and straight away say, okay, no, that I can take that out. I'll, I, I'm just going to pop that in my drafts and then I'll reread it and see whether or not that works if I have to take out a lot of words or I'll just highlight people's names. So point of view chapters, for example, it, it's just been a revelation, seriously. It, it, it's, yes, it's that's so actually quite cool. handy, isn't it? Because you write from the points of view of Libby, the mother and Harrison, the son, um, and, you know, I can't remember now, but you, it, I think with when you have chapters and you can highlight, I guess, in a different colour, whose point of view it is, you can immediately see, oh, that's just too you know that that's just too concentrated or I need more of Harrison there or I need to move that yeah. around a bit because we've forgotten who that point of view character is or whatever um is that how you used it in terms of highlighting them it definitely was and I think again I had in my mind from the beginning as a new writer um not knowing how these things work and thinking things needed to be linear I had in my mind I had three point of view characters I still do and I decided they all needed to be a third each because oh. I don't know, I just thought that's how books worked. <laughs> so off I went, and of course it really didn't work that way at all. And Libby is my main protagonist, 100%. I thought, like, oh, she's getting a lot more, you know, airplay than the others. Um, but but it worked out okay because it. I think she's maybe 70%, and then Harrison is 15 or 20 possibly, and then the last one is is a minor character based in Beechworth called Jake, who's the farmer um, next door neighbour. Mm. And he needed to be a point of view character because he's kind of the person on the spot in Beechworth, as it were. So it was interesting. I, I knew I couldn't just do a random chapter on him because that wouldn't be authentic. But I needed to in draw him back in enough so I could, you know, include him in Zooms and so on, make sure that he was present in the scenes, even if it wasn't his point of view. And it did. It was really, really helpful, actually, to be able to look through that and say, OK, you yeah, know, Jake's just got one chapter. But if I seed him through these others, yes, he's in them, even if it's yeah. not his point of view, that's OK. Great, great. Interesting. OK, so. um I think this is so exciting, The Good Woman's Guide to Making Better Choices. I usually ask for your top three writing tips, but I would love to hear your top three tips on um, <sighs> keeping the faith, you know what I mean, and staying on course 
uh, to to because that's exactly what you've done. You you've 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 stayed on course. You've believed in yourself, and your book is out there, and it's now making a splash. But it a lot of people give up um, early in the piece. You know, maybe when their first novel doesn't get picked up or whatever. What are your tips on keeping the faith? Well, it's such a great question. Um, and I have to thank Head and Shoulders, the most wondrous Joanna Nell for this. Uh, so she has become a good friend and she's doing my book launch, actually. Um, and of course, she is an alumni from the Australian Writers' Centre and, and very connected with you all. Um, so I would go along to writers' festivals and um, events, book launches, etc. And to be clear, Valerie, I did not know one single person. So this is my first tip, right, to keep the faith. Get to know people. Um, and I know there needs to be a certain amount of self-confidence. You're going to an event when you don't know anyone. But it's such a safe place. And people come up to you and introduce you to other people. You know, it's not like you're a wallflower in the corner. You know, we're not sort of 16 with social anxiety anymore. Um, all of us are in the same place. So I would go to all of these things. And I met Joe actually at um, the AWC event in um, Vivid. The last yep. one, the last Museum one of Contemporary Art. Yep. That's right. <laughs> and we stayed friends. So anyway, I'm circulating, circulating, doing all the writing, as you say, on the verge of giving up the faith. And she said to me, and it was only about a year ago, because I was only signed uh, 10, nine months ago. Um, I said to I was having a moan, I think. <laughs> I said, Joe, like, how long do you keep going? Seriously, I mean, it. What's the point where you just think, look, I'm just going to self-publish, which, by the way, I have a lot of faith in. I think self-publishing is a wonderful avenue and I still may look at it for other options. But for me, it was about finding an audience. So I, so I needed to give myself a deadline. When am I going to actually get something in the world that people can read? Um, and I said to her, you know, when, what's the point that you give up? And she said, well, <laughs> you can you have to keep going because if you give up, you'll never get there. Whereas if you keep going, you might. And I thought, oh, yeah, she's so right. And it, again, golden light bulb moment. Uh, and that made me pitch to the agent that then picked up my book. So that that's my first piece of very long-winded advice is connect. Get yourself a Joanna Nell. <laughs> yeah, get yourself a Joanna Nell or anybody that, you know, meet people, meet other writers because the reality is they've all been in the same situation that you have and everyone is so supportive and helpful. Um, so, yeah, that would be the main thing. And then set yourself little goals and deadlines too. So I did other stuff that I enjoyed. Uh, I developed my own website, for example, as you say, the social media, although that's post the launch, but that's been fun. Like it hasn't felt like a chore. You know, I don't care. I'm sticking on a stupid wig and pretending to be someone. What fun's that? Uh, who cares if people judge me? You know, it's TikTok. Um, so, you know, just get out there and do stuff that gives you joy. And you never know, it might get somewhere, it might not. But, you know, it'll it'll help spur you along. You, you know, you, you'll reach your goal in the end. And then the third thing I would say is set um, micro goals from a writing perspective. So I always had in my mind the thousand word word count, which, by the way, it was not 
a golden every single day you have to write. I know some people advise that. And I wouldn't advise that because I think there's a bit of pressure. But the thousand words, or in my case during NaNoWriMo, the 1,600 words really did help. And you'd be sitting there typing away um, and you'd see that you only had 200 words to go and you'd push through. And then the next thing you know, you've done 500 words. So, and again, you can set the little counter up in the corner of your screen and those targets, they're just micro goals within the bigger goal. So focus on focus on the day-to-day as well as the end point, because if you focus on the end point of ultimately just wanting to get published, it can be quite disheartening because all you ever hear is quite a lot of stories about how it's very difficult and you've got a one in a million chance and publishing is not what it was and this, that and the other. And, and then you connect with all these wonderful authors and they all say, well, I was just like you and this is what I did. So yeah, you have to keep going. And the other thing with keeping going, which I know this is not an exact science, but it did happen with me. And I do think it's the same for everyone is you ha- there's always an element of luck with any succeeding anywhere so with my element of luck it was my agent connecting with a firm exactly at the point where she was looking for this type of manuscript and she had a slot in January so the planets all aligned if she'd been looking for a crime novel obviously it doesn't matter how good my book is she's not going to pick it up um now you could say yeah but that's luck well yes but by constantly constantly working and putting myself out there and being in the right place at the right time finally I was so if you don't keep trying, if you don't, you know, aim high, you're never going to land in those micro moments of luck, which everyone needs. Fantastic. I really appreciate you talking to us today. Congratulations on your book. And thank you so much, Liz Foster. We're going to see a lot more of you in the years to come. I hope so. Thanks so much for having me, Valerie. It's just such a pleasure to talk to you. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Liz Foster. I just love seeing students succeed and I'm so thrilled for Liz and I have no doubt that this is the start of a very long author career. You could also get yourself on a path to success like Liz. As I mentioned, the Romance Writing Special Edition starts soon and is the only time this special edition will be held this year. I'm personally hosting the private Facebook group along with course creator Pamela Freeman. So I hope to see you there. Now, I'm going to leave you with this fun fact before the end of this episode. Did you know that the word symposium, as in a conference, comes from the ancient Greek where it actually referred to the part after a meal that was devoted to drinking and chatting? Now, that sounds like my kind of symposium. All right, we've come to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it, and I hope you had a good time. Whatever you were doing, whether you're at the gym or going for a walk or in the car or doing the laundry. Um, If you'd like to connect on social media, please do join our listener community on Facebook. Just go to Facebook and search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. I'd love to see you in there. Also, feel free to connect with me on social media. I'm at Valerie Koo on Instagram, um, and I'm also over at ValerieKoo.com. I'm using Twitter less these days. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast. 
or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more.